You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Normally, <laughs> just pray. Just pray. Normally, I, I, I accidentally end up roasting Ed. And so, um, Ed, you look good, you smell good, you talk good. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, this time, God. Thank you for Ed, for his gift of speaking, for his gift of communication. Thank you for the word you've placed on his heart. Let us hear it. Let us receive it. Let us be changed and transformed by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Oliver. Good morning, everybody. Man, I can't believe you're in church on such a perfect day. Like it's, uh, well, you're all going to heaven. Excellent. So... We are in this series on uh, characters uh, from the Old Testament. And um, I want to introduce you to a character today that uh, is bigger than life. He, he is Elisha the prophet from 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Now, to really understand Elisha, I have to take a few moments and introduce you to his predecessor, who is Elijah, all right? They're not brothers. They just have names that sound similar. But to understand Elisha and Elijah, I mean, these guys lived lives like something out of a Marvel magazine. Like, they, they, they're pretty extraordinary um, in the way that God used them. During the time of Elijah, the nation of Israel split. Ten tribes held together and were called the Northern Kingdom, and they, were, they still held on to the name of Israel. And the Southern Kingdom uh, was, uh, was basically the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah stuck together, and they split off of the, the, um, the tribe of Israel. And during that time, um, God was trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel, the, the antagonist in this story is a, 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 a king, the king of Israel, who was uh, cowardly, who was weak, um, who second-guessed himself constantly, um, and his name was Ahab. And Ahab marries the wicked witch of Tyre, all right, and her name is Jezebel. And their marriage was, uh, a, you know, basically to ratify a peace treaty between the nation of Tyre and the nation of Israel. And so these two married. And Ahab is weak and Jezebel is incredibly headstrong. And she makes it her mission to introduce Baal worship, which was the kind of the main religion of the nation she came from, to introduce that to the nation of Israel. And because of her, the, 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 the land is saturated. The nation of Israel becomes saturated with Baal worship. And the prophet Elijah, much of the work that he does is to take this root out of the nation of Israel, to, to take Baalism out of the nation of Israel. And so he comes to Ahab again and again and again and said, you know what, repent you know what, Take, turn your heart back to God. Let go of your idols. Let go of your Baal worship. He comes to the people 
again and again. And the people are hard-hearted and Ahab is hard-hearted and they just refuse to let go of what they have. You see, Baalism taught that Baal inhabited the, the streams, the rivers, the trees, the mountain heights. And it taught that Baal was the, the, the source of life and fertility. And so the people would worship Baal in order to get good crops. And worshiping Baal was really very often like an orgy. There was, um, it, it was really very, um, um, it was grievous to God. And these people would often uh, sacrifice things, but sometimes even sacrifice their children on the altars of Baal in exchange for a fertile crop. And God comes to the, the people and the people keep looking to Baal um, for fertility, for good crops. And God comes to them in 1 Kings and he says something to Ahab, which speaks directly to this. In verse 1 Kings 17, Elijah says, as Jehovah, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. He said, there shall, be not, there shall not be a dew or rain for years except by my word. Because these people are looking to Baal for, for their, all of their life and their health. And Elijah comes and says, I'll show you where the source of life comes from. And there will not be rain until I say so. And for the next three and a half years, the land of Israel dried up. There was not one drop of rain over Israel for three and a half years. Literally, their rivers dried up. Their, their streams dried up. Their wells dried up. Their livestock were dying. Their crops died as this judgment comes on the nation of Israel. And what's interesting is that God, Elijah, you know, he's bigger than life in his prophecies and his declarations, but he's just a guy. And so, so he, he, he knows that he's in trouble now that he's kind of cursed the king and the land and the nation. And so he goes and he hides. And God hides Elijah, which is actually quite extraordinary, for three and a half years. And the king sends out people. Eventually, king wants to find him to turn the tap back on, but he can't find him because the Lord's hidden him. And after three and a half years... Elijah shows up before the king. And he said, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And he's, he's about to, God has set the ball up so high. He's teed it up so well because he's now going to demonstrate to all the nation of Israel who is Jehovah, who is God, who controls the rain and the fire and nature. And so he says to Ahab, I want you to bring your wife's priests to meet me on Mount Carmel. And I want you to send word out and I want all of Israel to come and meet me at Mount Carmel. And so Ahab arranges for this all to happen. And all of Israel is before Elijah. The king is there. 850 prophets of Baal that ate at Jezebel's, tab Je Jezebel's table were there. 
And Elijah says to the people of Israel, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. But choose. And he said, and this is what we're going to do. And he calls up the 850 prophets of Baal. He said, take, take a bull, create an altar. Put the bull on the altar and you call out to Baal. And if he answers by fire, you don't set any fire to it. And if he answers by fire, then he'll be God. And then I'll do the same and I'll call out to Jehovah and if he answers by fire. And so the prophets of Baal, they, they get their altar all ready and they get the bull on top and they start dancing and they start singing and they start praying and it's, it, nothing's happening. Nothing is happening. So they start cutting themselves. They're doing anything to evoke something from Baal. But by noon, absolutely nothing has happened and they're exhausted. And so Elijah says, sit down, fellows. And the Bible says that he steps over to a place where there is an altar that was broken down. You see, this was once a sacred place. It's why he picked the place he picked. And he repaired the altar and he put 12 stones together on this altar representing the tribe's of Israel. And then he too put a bull or a steer on the altar. And then he dug a trench, a deep trench all around the altar. And then he had them bring a barrel of water. Remember, this is a drought. So I'm not, what is he thinking? An entire barrel of water. And they dump it on the bull and they do it again. And they do it again and they do it again until absolutely everything is saturated. And when everything is set, the nation of Israel is just standing there waiting. And Elijah prays this out loud for the people to hear. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you again. And he finishes praying and all of a sudden, fire comes from the sky and it consumes absolutely everything on the altar. It consumes the altar itself. It consumes every drop of water. And the people stand in absolute fear and awe of God. And they turn their hearts back to God. And then Elijah says, take Jezebel's prophets and get rid of them. Take them. And the people took them and destroyed them. It was their way of breaking a tie. It was their way of saying, we're not going back. And the people repent. And, and Elijah, I mean, this is like an epic epic victory. And if that's not enough, then he goes up on the mountain and he starts to pray. He starts to pray. And he says to a servant, he's praying for rain, for God to restore, refresh, re re rejuvenate the land. He says, go and see what you can see. 
And the servant goes out and he doesn't see a cloud in the sky. There's no rain. There's no nothing. And he comes back and he said, nothing. And so Elijah keeps praying. He said, go again. Nothing. He sends him out a third time. I love this. He sends him out a third time. And the servant comes back and he says, well, I can see a cloud way in the distance about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, oh boy, we got to go. And they go flying down the mountain. By the time they are at the bottom of the mountain, it is raining. It is pouring. He says to Elijah, get your chariot off the mountain. It's coming. It's coming. Could you imagine having that kind of faith where you just see a cloud the size of a man's hand and in that cloud you can see a rainstorm. But Elijah's just a man. He's just a man. He just killed Jezebel's prophets. And he, like all men, are terrified of angry women. And, and, and so he thinks, you know what, Elijah's freaking out. She's going to kill me. And so he runs. He just, he's so strong. How can we be so strong in one arena and so weak in another arena? And he runs and he runs and God helps him run because God knows how mean an angry woman can be. And, and, and he runs and God provides him nourishment and strength for him to run and he finds himself in a cave. And while he's in the cave, he's having a conversation with God. And that's when God says to him, I have a successor for you. His name is Elisha. And that's where he said, go, and I want you to anoint Elisha. You see, Elijah prepared the way for Elisha, very much like John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ. There are a lot of similarities and, and, and the, the foreshadowing is really quite amazing in these two characters. So this brings us to Elisha. First Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah left there, so that's that cave we were talking about, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Elisha was plowing with 24 bulls. That's a lot of bulls. Uh, 24 bulls and, with, and was with the last two. Elijah passed by him and threw his coat on him. He left the bulls and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, then I'll follow you. And Elijah said, return, for what have I done to you? So Elijah returned from following him. He took his two bulls, killed them, boiled their flesh over the fire, burning the wood cross pieces the bulls used to pull the load. And he gave the meat to the people and they ate. And then Elisha got up and followed Elijah and he served him. Is this a strange story or what? Like it is just weird. Elijah is working the field. He's working the field and he gets interrupted by Elijah. And we know a couple things about Elisha. We know that he was wealthy. We know that, that the, the land that he had was, in, you know, what is his family's land. And we know that he was rich in land. And he was rich in livestock because nowhere else in all of scripture do you see reference to 24 bull or oxen for plowing a field. A man would have been wealthy if he had two. 
And so what we see here, he, Elisha comes from a wealthy family. He's doing what he knows to do. He's just working. He's just farming. He's just plowing the field. And then Elijah interrupts him. Maybe more so it's that God interrupted him. And he says, I've got a new journey for you. You think this is what you were going to do? You, were gonna, you think this was your, your destiny? I have a new destiny for you. And God's just like that, isn't he? He's just like that. He has a way of interrupting us. Somehow he has no problem interrupting my schedule. He, he's not really all that concerned to see if I have time on the schedule for what he wants to do in my life. A lot of times he just shows up. And all of a sudden you were once walking this way, now you're walking that way. He has a way of derailing us. And when God is ready to do something in your life, he will interrupt you. The only question is, is, will you recognize him? Will you recognize the interruption as a divine interruption? So Elijah's minding his own business. Elisha's minding his own business. And then Elijah comes along and throws his jacket on him and keeps walking. And I'm thinking, how weird is that? He comes to a complete stranger, puts his jacket on him, and then he just keeps walking. And I'm thinking, what Elisha, what's he thinking? What a weirdo, what, a, what, 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 what is that? Ooh, it stinks. Your jacket stinks. Take it off. He doesn't even have time to process what's happening. But Elijah, the old prophet, he's been walking with God for a long time. And he knows that God cannot be put on hold. He knows that God keeps moving forward. He knows that God has a purpose and a plan and a timing that belongs to him. And Elijah was on that. Elijah, rather, was on that timing. It's as if um, Elijah, Elijah is saying to this young man, "Listen, this is an opportunity. Are you coming or are you staying? Make up your mind now. Are you coming or are you staying?" I wonder how many times in our lives God interrupts us, but we're too busy to even notice. How many times does he come and he interrupts our lives, but we're so distracted that we can't even discern a divine interruption from an ordinary interruption. But even though Elijah is just working the land like he knows how to do, this moment passes, a weirdo comes, throws his jacket on top of this young guy, and Elisha somehow knows that what just happened is bigger than inheriting this farm from my father and from his father. Something just happened that is epic. And I don't know what it is, but I cannot miss it. He seemed to understand that when the old prophet put his mantle on the young prophet, that the young one, Elisha, was about to inherit the old prophet's anointing, the old prophet's calling, the old prophet's authority. He sensed that somehow. And the Bible says, and he left the bulls and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, return, for what have I done to you? You see, Elijah had been walking with God 
He knew what it was like to carry this anointing, this mantle. He knew that it came at a price. He knows what this calling has cost him. And he said, what have I done to you? With the mantle that he has just, he's going to, he's about to. By the way, Elisha was the disciple of Elijah for eight years. So they had eight years to, to get this right. But, but he knew that what he was about to impart to this young man, this great anointing came with a crucible, came with pain, came with struggle. I've learned not to really, to, to covet big anointings. Because with big anointings comes tremendous amount of crushing. And they're hard to carry. Not all can carry them. When I think of businessmen and women who are very successful, I, I know that, that, that the, it, it took a long time to develop the courage, the strength, the character to carry that kind of responsibility. And I know that those were big shoulders and that, that success came at a price as well. So Elisha returns from following um, Elijah. He took two bulls, he killed them, boiled their flesh, burnt them on the, um, on the uh, burning the, the wood cross pieces that the bulls used to pull the load. He gave the meat to the people and they ate and he set out to follow Elisha. And I read this and I've, I've read this all my life. I've read this story and it always bugged me. Why kill the bulls? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Doesn't it make more sense? Give the bulls to someone else so they can work your land for you while you're gone. It's like a, it's like a farmer who decides to go to Bible school. You know what? And, and right before he leaves for Bible school, he, take, he lights his $600,000 tractor combine on fire and goes, there you go. Everybody, come for a bonfire. You know, uh, why do you do that? Why Leave it for someone else to use. But it does, the, the, the point of the, the, the burning the, 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 um, the plow, creating an altar out of the plow, is that Elisha saying, I'm not going back. No matter what, I am not going back. There is no returning for me. He throws this feast for the people in his area. And it is actually a prophetic act as he's declaring that he will be a catalyst just like Elijah was for great abundance for the people of Israel. And he says goodbye to his family and he follows Elijah and he serves him. By the way, in the kingdom of God, when we move from one season of our lives, from one chapter of our lives to the next chapter, we always leave the last chapter a master and we always enter into the next chapter as the servant or as the student. And that's exactly what happened here. He left the master and he enters into this new journey with Elijah, with Elijah as, the, as, the, as the servant. You see, he gave up the farm for something. What did he get in exchange for the farm? He gave up the farm and God gave him something so precious and so powerful that it's rare in all of the scripture. He gave him eyes to see as God sees. He gave him eyes to see as God sees. Eight years he walked with Elijah 
And in that eight years, God transferred to him his own heart. And with his heart came eyes to see and ears to hear what God was saying to the people of Israel. I'm going to tell you one story. If I really hope that even just this few moments together, you'd be enticed to start reading First and Second Kings because the stories are, are awesome. There's this one story where the king of Aram is at war with Israel. And when the king of Aram and his generals, they go into their tent and they, and they make battle plans. Um, Elijah, or, or, sorry, Elisha is praying and God reveals to Elisha exactly what the king of Aram is planning to do. And so Elisha tells the king of Israel, they're going to be here and here at this and this time and this and this, this is their plan. And so the king of Israel gets there in advance and he defeats the the, the army of Aram again and again and again. And it is driving the king of Aram crazy. He's going, there's got to be a spy in our midst. Somebody is ratting us out. And one of his generals said, no, 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 no. There's no spy. There's no spy. Israel's got this guy, Elisha. And he hears from God. And he tells the king everything you even think or dream or say. He's the problem. And so the king of Aram decides, let's send an army. Let's find out where he lives. And when we figure out where he lives, then let's send an army to go and neutralize him. He's our problem. And so he sends this whole army to get one guy, one guy. And they come to the city of Dothan. They surround the city of Dothan for one guy. And then the Bible says this, when the servant of Elisha got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Um, the servant asked. Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed this, he said, Father, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw that the hills were full of horses, full of chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open his eyes. I'm going to come back to that in a second. And then Elisha, he, this guy's like so powerful in his prayers. Then he decides, okay, how, how are we going to do this now? Um, I know that, that God's going to give us them. I know that. And so he prays for them to be blind. And so the whole army goes blind, right? You can't make this, well, you can make this stuff up, but you have to have a really good imagination. And so the whole army is blind now. And so Elisha decides to go out and he greets the commanding general Hey, how you doing? What's going on, guys? You know, and they said, yeah, we, yeah, we're blind. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Right in the middle of a good battle, you go blind. I hate that. And, and Elijah says, yeah, I think you got the wrong city, fellas. Uh, I'll take you to the one you're looking for. And so he leads the entire army into the stronghold of Israel, which is the city of Samaria. And he leads these guys because they're blind. Well, you know what? And he leads them right into the city. 
They close the doors behind them. They're surrounded by Israeli's army, the Israeli army. And then Elisha says, Father, you can open their eyes now. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and it's not Dothan. It's Samaria. And, and the king is going, he, we got the whole army in here. And he doesn't know what to do. That's Ahab. I mean, this guy is just what I described him as. He doesn't know what to do. Do I kill them? What do I do? And Elisha says, no, don't kill them. Feed them. And so they throw a great feast for this enemy army and then they release them. And they go back home and they tell the king everything that had happened. And because of the kindness and the grace that was shown to his army, the king of Aram stopped attacking the nation of Israel. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Elisha said, open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes. Could you imagine? See, the, he, he, he's not talking about his, his retina. He's not talking about his eye. He's talking about an other seeing. There is an other way of seeing. You can look at your impossible circumstances with your natural senses. But there is an eye, a spiritual eye, that can see beyond your impossible circumstances to God's way. When there's no way in the natural, there's still a way maker. And if you can see the way maker, then your heart can be at peace even when there is no way in the natural. Could you imagine how much peace you'd live with when you could see your natural eye can see your lack can see what you don't have. But when you can see with your spiritual eye beyond your lack to his abundance, you find yourself rejoicing by faith. You find yourself dancing when you should be sorrowful. You should be sad. Could you imagine looking at a boy's lunch and then looking at 10,000 incredibly hungry people. And could you imagine you see these things in the natural, but your spiritual eye sees leftovers? Could you imagine? Could you imagine what, what, how you would impact the world you live in when everybody else in the room, they can only see that they are surrounded by an invading army. When you can confidently sit there in peace because you see that that army is surrounded by your God. Can you understand it, that, that when, when, when you, we are called to be people who set our eyes on the things that are not seen rather than the things that are seen? The Apostle Paul, it's exactly what he was talking about when he said, we pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, I believe that God wants you to walk at a level of authority, a level of effectiveness as a human being that goes beyond just what you see with the natural. He wants you to begin to see beyond the natural to what he is doing through the circumstance you're in. 
to what, how, how, how he's going to use this in your life down the road so that you can begin to live your life not in fear of everything that goes wrong in your life, but in authority over those things that go wrong in your life. God will lead you on a new journey just so that you can take your eyes off of you and trust him. He'll ask you to follow him. I love this. The Bible says the path of the righteous are like the light of dawn. It get brighter and brighter. And so should the revelation that you have of the father. It should be constantly growing. Most of us, in, we, we find ourselves living off yesterday's manna, my revelation that we got from God a year ago. And God says, I, I've got, I, I want you to be expanding in my understanding of your understanding of who I am so that you can walk with a rest and a peace and a joy. You see, when Jesus came, that's what Jesus was doing on this earth. He came to the planet so that we, he, we could see God. We could see how he acts. We could see his heart to redeem us and to forgive us, to heal us, to restore us. And so I pray as did Elisha. He said, Father, open his eyes that he may see. You don't have to put your hand up, but if you're in this place and you're in the middle of a very difficult, painful circumstance, I'm going to ask God to open your eyes to see. Not your natural eyes, but your, your, your eyes, your spiritual eyes to see that, that I love that last song that they sang. He's, you know, when you're in the fire, can you see that he's in the fire with you? When you're, when you're on the ocean, can you see that he's standing beside you, calming it? Why don't we stand together? Thank you, Father, for the extraordinary lives of Elijah and Elisha. These men could see. They had clarity. They had spiritual perception. Father, I pray for us. Would you give us eyes to see? We we're so aware of what we're up against right now. We're so aware of our circumstances. We're so aware of the impossibleness of the moment of the situation. But Father, open our eyes to see on the other side. Open our eyes to see Jesus healing where there is sickness right now. Open our eyes to see that there is relationships that are restored when right now they're a mess. Open our eyes to see our children and our parents the way you see them. Open our eyes to see Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio from the house. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.